All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today I will be giving you my final thoughts, previewing what the Falcons strategy will be on night one of this 2021 NFL draft. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalcFans.com. RIP, still going strong, however, on Twitter at FalcFans. And, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto, where you can find amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Just visit rockauto.com and tell them that Locked On sent you. So today's episode, I will be giving you sort of my thoughts on the Falcons draft strategy for tonight, sort of the final preview, I guess you could say. Uh, That seems like a little bit of an oxymoron, but we'll talk about why I think the Falcons may be looking to take a quarterback and looking at sort of their desire to, you know, purge some salary. Um, Then we'll get into the case for Kyle Pitts and why the Falcons may be interested in taking him. We'll talk a little bit about why I've gone from the conductor or the driver of the Kyle Pitts party bus to now being on team Justin Fields. But we also will talk about the team's potential to trade back. We'll talk about whether or not they would pull the trigger on someone like Trey Lance at pick number four. So we'll get into all of it. This will essentially be, you know, my best version of summarizing the last three and a half to five months of content related to the draft all into one episode. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be as comprehensive as we're going to get, at least as far as the preview portion. And then of course, on tomorrow's episode, we will know who the Falcons number one pick will be. And we'll talk about it specifically and focus specifically on the, all the things that I won't discuss on today's episode. But with all that being said, I will continue to say, you know, upfront that I do think, the Falcons will take a quarterback at four, and I do think that player is most likely to be Ohio State passer Justin Fields. Uh, but, you know, for today's episode, I do want to talk and focus mainly on the strategy and the so-called plan first, whether that be taking a quarterback, whether that be taking Kyle Pitts, whether that be trading back. And as much as that strategy has always been sort of phrased as a win now versus a win later approach, I think that's an oversimplification of it. The way I kind of look at it is like this. I think the Falcons will wind up just taking the player that they think is the best player. And if that leads to to them winning now, great. If that leads to them being having to wait a little bit longer, then also great. I don't think that really is a key factor in the, in the quote unquote grand strategy as it is involved. And You know, I've discussed this and others have discussed this over the last couple of months. And for me, at least recently, and I've been saving this thought for the last couple of weeks, it was this idea of what their strategy is was kind of cemented a couple of weeks ago when Pro Football Focus came out with an article, I I believe two weeks ago, where they graphed and charted all 32 teams looking at how much they were paying in 2021 salary cap dollars, as well as how much of their roster was charted by wins above replacement, looking at age going from like 22 all the way up to 37, 38, or in the case of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, well over 40. 
And the wins above replacement part was whatever to me, but I really keyed in on the salary cap part. And what was relatively unique looking at the Falcons chart was that they had two prominent spikes as far as their money after the age of 30. And of course that represented Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. And you saw other teams having spikes like that, particularly on, you know, on the older side, particularly those teams like Tampa Bay and, and the Rams that have, you know, older quarterbacks that are paid a lot of money. Um, and some teams did have a second spike after the age of 30 as well, but usually that second spike was not that prominent, not certainly compared to the case of the Falcons and, and, uh, their second spike with Julio Jones. And one of the patterns I noticed looking at a lot of the teams, particularly some of the teams that we talk about nowadays as being some of the teams competing for the Super Bowl, is that if you were to graph that in terms of their salary cap, a trend line to sort of see where they're spending their money, for a lot of those teams, it would trend down. And it, what that meant is, of course, they're paying the majority of their monies to guys under the age of 30, guys, you know, 27, 28 or under. But the Falcons were one of those relatively rarer teams that had a clear upward trend in terms of where their money was going to. And then listening to what Terry Fontenot said on Wednesday, and on Wednesday he had the sort of obligatory pre-draft press conference alongside Arthur Smith, and it seemed like the Falcons like, I guess we have to do this, so we'll just do this the day before the draft. You know, but looking at what he said and, and their approach to free agency, it seems pretty clear to me that the Falcons' overarching goal, if you want to call it that, is to sort of purge some of these big salaries that they inherited and, and try to get a fresh start with their, their team building process and not have the salary cap debilitate them. And it goes back to something that Tori McElhaney of the athletic, when she came on the podcast way back in February talked about, and I was in denial back during the heyday of my salary cap is a lie rhetoric and whatnot. But she basically was saying that they'll probably be fairly low key in free agency, signing a whole bunch of cheap one year deals this year and possibly next year until they get into a position from a salary cap standpoint um, where they can be a little bit more frivolous, as they say, uh, with their spending and free agency. And basically what I'm saying now is that pro football focus graphic, and I'll probably tweeted it out on the lockdown Falcons uh, Twitter handle um, alongside this episode, the day that, you know, when you guys are listening to this, so you can sort of see it, it really kind of cemented it in my eyes. Um, that this is their strategy. And, th- and then this is why I'm not, you know, c- coming back from Tuesday's episode, talking about the potential of trading Julio Jones. I'm not as dismissive of that notion today as I was then. And while I'm not going so far to say that they're likely going to trade Julio Jones, you know, I think the, you know, I think I said it on Tuesday's episode was like a 10 to 12% chance or something like that. I would probably triple that number and say it's probably closer to 30, 35% at this point in time. Um, because you know, that would kind of mesh with their end goal and, and get out of these bad contracts that Thomas Dimitrov and company left them with. And the old regime basically operated under, you know, what we now understand is a false premise that guided us in, in the post 2016 era, which is that this was a team capable of competing for Super Bowls and they were willing to retain some of their players um, in order to keep that core of their roster together. And some of those guys got massive deals and were among the highest paid players in in the NFL at their respective positions. And I don't want to necessarily rehash whether those were the right moves or defend those decisions or, or attack them for those decisions. What's done is done at this point in time. But 
I thir- I certainly think a lot of us, at least until the start of the 2019 season, probably would have agreed with that approach. And I think the new regime under Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith is not going to come in here with the same expectations that they need to retain that core from those 2016, 2017, et cetera, teams. And it goes back to something I've talked about a bunch, but their job is not to redeem the 2016 through 2020 Falcons. That was DQ's job. That was Thomas Dimitrov's job. And ultimately they failed to do that redemption. Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith's job is to build a team that they think is capable of winning a, a championship in the future. And that's likely going to include a lot of new faces. That's why we saw this team have like 22 free agents. If you include cap cuts and only brought one of those guys back, you know, they essentially have a let a little less than 40% of their roster from last year, walk out the door. And once you start operating with that as your central premise, and again, I'll admit that I was in denial about this for the first three months of the off season, but that premise being their number one goal is to get out of salary cap hell as opposed to treading water and trying to make it work as the previous regime was trying to do these last couple of years. You know, a lot of the decisions that they've made so far in, in, in this opening off season makes a, a ton of sense and, and fits that description. And, and whether we're talking about their lack of spending and free agency, whether we're talking about their decision to restructure certain players like Matt Ryan and, and Deion Jones, but restructuring those guys and still having the flexibility that they could move on from those guys next year. If they wanted to not restructuring contracts like Julio Jones's, uh, because that would inhibit their ability to trade him next year or whether we're talking about them dragging their feet on what most of us, including myself perceived to be a relatively simple fix to their cap problems by giving a contract extension to Grady Jarrett. But if you think about it, like their goal is not to spend, and, and get out of salary cap hill, it doesn't make a ton of sense that, you know, you're immediately in, in your first few months on the job going to give somebody like a Grady Jarrett a $21 million a year contract extension. And so basically, again, seeing that visual from the Pro Football Focus article really cemented that for me. You, we can talk about all these things, but really until you see it and particularly co- see it compared to some of the other 31 teams, it was truly hard for me to truly grasp at this point. And so with that in mind, you know, I do think that really does push the Falcons towards drafting a quarterback because, you know, the quarterback contract is the biggest, you know, albatross, the biggest anchor on in terms of their salary cap situation. Um, and if you can get a guy on a rookie on a cheap rookie deal, you know, that saves you a considerable amount of money, even if, you know, you're not going to get that benefit until two or three years down the road. So I can say that's part of the reason why I continue to, you know, stick to my guns and think that the Falcons are going to take a quarterback at four, despite all the rumors and all the reports, at least the vast majority of them saying that they're going to take Kyle Pitts. But of course, let's talk about the possibility that all those reports and are, are accurate and they will wind up taking Kyle Pitts and, and why that could make sense. Even if um, we're talking about the team trying to purge contracts, but before we get there, guys, you know, it also makes sense finding someone that can help make investing easy because investing can be complicated. But whether you're a beginner or you've been investing for years, Wealthfront makes it easy. They have the right tools for every portfolio. Wealthfront can create a portfolio of globally diversified, low cost index funds personalized to you in just minutes. No manual trades, no picking stocks, no watching the stock market every day. They automatically handle all the investing based on preferences that you control. Wealthfront is trusted with over $20 billion of assets and you can get your first $5,000 managed for free by going to wealthfront.com slash locked on NFL, grow your wealth the easy way and let Wealthfront do the work for you to get your first $5,000 managed for free for life. Go to wealthfront.com slash locked on NFL 
That's W E A L T H F R O N T dot com slash locked on NFL to start growing your savings. Go to wealthfront.com slash locked on NFL and get started today. So let's talk about Kyle Pitts. And I know I've claimed the title of being the driver of the Kyle Pitts party bus. And let's make it clear. I've never once really advocated for the Falcons to take Kyle Pitts before, but I had the vision of why it made sense. And yes, I do take great satisfaction in, in being one of a handful of notable Falcon fans on Twitter that were talking about the Falcons taking Kyle Pitts weeks, if not months before many others got on board. And in those moments, you know, I become everything that my critics say I am, which is an egotistical, arrogant know-it-all. But all my stance ever really was, was that if you give it more than like four seconds of thought and you don't just outright dismiss it because, oh, he's a tight end or you dismiss it because, oh, the Falcons have more pressing needs as people were so quick to do in early to mid February, especially after Matt Miller, formerly of Bleacher Report, dropped his first mock of the offseason and had the Falcons taking Kyle Pitts at four. And that's sort of the first point when people either loved it in my case or hated it in 90% of everybody else's case. So as they say, you know, I had the vision I don't claim ownership of that vision as there were other prominent ones that also shared that vision. Shout out to Smitty of, of Smitty sports machine as another prominent person who, who had the vision from the jump. But, you know, to me, it's never really been about advocating for one path, whether we're talking about Kyle Pitts or a quarterback or whatever, it's always been about trying to understand the path that the Falcons will eventually choose. And one of the things I always pride myself on is being able to see things from other people's and multiple perspectives. So for example, when I see a mock draft, I don't immediately say, you know, when they have a player that I don't like, or don't necessarily expect the Falcons to pick, I don't say, Oh, that's dumb. As so many others do. I look at it and say, okay, that's one interesting scenario. You know, what would be the circumstances in which that would play out? And for me, from the jump, seeing Kyle Pitts mock to the Falcons, that scenario was pretty simple. The Falcons would take Kyle Pitts in a scenario if they came away from this process, not loving these quarterbacks. Basically, if you think of Kyle Pitts as this Travis Kelsey, Calvin Johnson type of impact playmaker, and that seems to be the consensus that most people seem to have on Kyle Pitts. And then you look at the quarterbacks and you say, you know, Justin Fields, well, he reminds me of Jameis Winston. Or you look at Trey Lance, you say, well, he, he kind of reminds me of Marcus Mariota. If you're given those outcomes, you know, regardless of the positional value inherent to the quarterback position, you'd be hard pressed to say that the team should take, you know, Jameis Winston or Marcus Mariota over a Travis Kelsey type of player, regardless of where you're picking in the draft. And I think the Kelsey comparison is an apt one because, you know, he was drafted by the Chiefs in round three back in 2013. That was the first year of Andy Reid's tenure that they went out that offseason, acquired Alex Smith to be their quarterback. And again, clearly different circumstances, but you could see a similar pattern where the Falcons decided to roll with Matt Ryan building around him for the next three to five years is similar to what the Chiefs did with Alex Smith. And, you know, we like to mythologize Patrick Mahomes, and he certainly deserves all the praise that he gets. But we like to mythologize him and act like he single-handedly has uplifted the Chiefs to be this 8-8 eight and eight team and, and turning them into a Super Bowl contender. But the reality is, and I've talked about this a bunch over the last couple of months, you know, he joined an already stacked, built-up Kansas City Chiefs team back in 2017. 
you know, before Mahomes assumed that starting position, the Chiefs were coming off five consecutive winning season. They averaged, I think, 11 wins over those five years. They had four playoff appearances. I think they were like the number two seed in that 2017 season with Alex Smith at the helm with pro bowlers at the running back position, Kareem Hunt, wide receiver and Tyreek Hill and tight end with Travis Kelsey. They built up their offensive line. They had a, a pretty good defense at the time. I know we know that the Chiefs today, not a great defensive team, but for the first five years of Andy Reid's tenure, they were a defensive known team. That was their strength of their team. They were top five defense according to DVOA in 2017 itself before Patrick Mahomes even started a game. And that's the environment that Patrick Mahomes found himself in and took over as a starter full-time in 2018 and proceeded then to have the three best in terms of his first three seasons, the best uh, three-year start to an NFL career besides maybe when we look back across NFL history, Dan Marino and and Kurt Warner being the only ones that could contend with the last three years of of, of Patrick Mahomes' start to his career. So could that be the Falcons' plan to do something similar, build around Matt Ryan three to five years if need be? You know, go get a quarterback to be their Patrick Mahomes if they need that extra push. If they're a team like the Chiefs were, a second-round playoff team, and looking to be that Super Bowl contender. And let's be clear here. You know, even though I'm comparing Matt Ryan to Alex Smith, I think we all can agree the starting point with Matt Ryan as your quarterback is much better than the starting point is with Alex Smith as your quarterback. So you don't necessarily need uh, to feel like you're going to have to go out there and get him a Mahomes three to five years from now like the Chiefs were. Because even with a diminished Matt Ryan, you know, I still think he's going to be significantly better, or at least I'm hopeful that he'll be significantly better, especially with if Arthur Smith proves to be as good a play caller as, as he's reputed to be, you know, still very effective for the Falcons. Um, you know, even if he does have some decline, some physical decline in his late thirties, as he approaches those days. So I look at that. If, if that's the plan, I don't sit here and think that's a bad plan to take Kyle Pitts. You know, now you can sit here, you know, you can ask me, is it Aaron? Would that be your plan? Or you're sitting there saying that wouldn't be my plan. That's fine. Like, you know, we all have different plans, but you know, I think the way that people like to portray these things is as if there's some magic can't miss strategy and there isn't. And this gets back to one of the things I was kind of getting at when I was ranting on Monday's episode. But, you know, every year we, we look at these Super Bowl winners and look at their blueprints and say, oh, just copy what they did and you'll be successful. And the, the Bucks plan was the best plan for the Bucks. The Chiefs plans the best plan for the Chiefs. The Patriots plans the best plan for the Patriots and the Falcons need to find the best plan for the Falcons. And the things that those teams that are successful executing their plans is that it's their They execute their plans better than other teams. It's not about finding, you know, there's one blueprint that fits all. one size fits all. It's about what's the best plan for your team, for your personnel, for your coaching, for your salary cap circumstances, and then go execute it better than other, the other 31 teams execute their respective plans. And that's where you get instances where the, the, the results are greater than the sum of its parts. And that's the difference between being a success and a failure in this league, you know, and I, and I'll use examples like, you know, that are familiar to us that like Aldrick Robinson and Taylor Gabriel and Brian Poole and Dwight Freeney and those pickups that we had in 2016. Now I'm not saying that those four guys single-handedly were responsible for the Falcons going to the Super Bowl, but I certainly would say that if the Falcons only made one of those moves, if not all four of those moves, would they have been as successful that season? I don't think they would have. Now, maybe that results in a second round playoff exit, or maybe that results in them not making the playoffs altogether. Who knows? But it's those types of moves that sort of fill in the cracks that I think are really important to team success. And you can't just simply say, oh, to, you know, 
the the Bears as they tried to do and go out and get Taylor Gabriel. You, you just can't say to another team, go get a Taylor Gabriel, go get an Alger Robinson. That worked for the Falcons. It won't work for all other teams. So, you know, next time you hear me going off on a rant, talking about some seemingly minor move, like, oh my God, I can't believe the Falcons let Marvin Hall go, or, oh, I can't believe the Falcons are overpaying Lee Smith. Those are the reasons why. It's those little moves that tend to add up that can help you get the, the, the greater uh, effort than the sum of the parts. So in conclusion, you know, I could certainly go deeper on this and, and potentially will on tomorrow's episode if, if Kyle Pitts winds up being the pick. But if that's the direction the Falcons do decide to go, look, I'm not going to complain about it. Why should I complain about having the ordeal of having to watch Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley wreck NFL defenses for the next five to seven years together? Like, oh man, that's a terrible existence that I'm gonna have to live in. So we will definitely look into more of the options as we continue today's Lockdown Falcons, including whether or not it makes sense for the Falcons to trade back. And we'll wrap up today's episode with that. Uh, but before we get there, guys, I do want to plug the two draft-related podcasts on the Lockdown Podcast Network. You know Trevor and Ben have you covered over at Lockdown NFL Draft. And Kyle and Joe have the Draft Dudes podcast on lock. And they're going to give you the reactions to all 32 picks of round one on tomorrow's episode and keep you covered for all of that action throughout the weekend. So check out the locked on NFL draft podcast and the draft dudes podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. So bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action at bet online. This week has tons of sports action on the go as the NFL draft is on and the Kentucky Derby is back as the first leg of the triple crown begins this weekend. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as the teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at BetOnline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So you guys know that I recently had to get my brakes fixed and my taillight replaced and I wound up spending a lot of money, a lot more money than I wanted to once I looked at the receipt and I was kicking myself because I knew I could have saved a lot of money had I just gone to rockauto.com first. They have everything from engine parts, motor oil, new carpet, as well as the brake parts and tail lamps that I needed. I could have gotten everything I needed in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to my door and you can too because the rockauto.com catalog is unique. It's easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle choose by brand specification and the price that you prefer and those prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers why spend up to twice as much for the same parts or if you're like me spending four times as much for the same parts so go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in the how did you hear about us boxes they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com so before we get into the Falcons first round options and choices, I want to let you guys know that there's only one option for you to get that second screen wall to wall coverage of every NFL draft pick in round one tonight. The lockdown podcast network is partnering with the draft network to cover the NFL draft live, get insight and analysis from all the local experts on lockdown, including myself, as well as the draft networks, national experts by subscribing to the lockdown NFL YouTube page. And you can watch, Watch the live three-day coverage of the NFL Draft starting tonight, April 29th through 
Saturday, May 1st. So let's talk about the three main options that we've been talking about for several weeks now on this podcast. And everybody seems to agree is the Falcons main options. One being taking a quarterback, presumably Trey Lance or Justin Fields Two, uh, taking a non quarterback and presumably that's Kyle Pitts. But you know, there's a slim chance that they're going to take Penny Sewell or Jamar chase. I would wager that, you know, those combined chances, maybe like one or 2%, but you know, it exists, but we're not going to talk about that on today's episode and three trading back for more picks and future assets. So let's go in reverse order, talking about each option trading back. Now, you may have seen Jeff Schultz tweet out Wednesday morning that the Falcons continue to hold trade talks with teams interested in trading up for a fourth overall pick, but have not yet received an offer to their liking. You know, what's going to be interesting for this is as, you know, my good friend, Andrew Brandt, we're, we're close personal pals. He, he always says deadline spur action. And usually that's in respect to contracts and franchise tags. But in this case, you know, until teams know which quarterback or, you know, position player is available at that pick four, meaning until the 49ers make their pick as well as the Jets, since I guess that's not technically 100 percent, you know, they can't really negotiate in earnest. And what that tweet implied to me, the Falcons aren't going to necessarily give discounts. And that's further enhanced by the ESPN report earlier this week that the Lions were reportedly interested in potentially moving up to number four to, to leapfrog the Bengals to get Jamar Chase. But reportedly the Falcons price tag was too high. And so they couldn't necessarily do that. Then you throw in the fact that, uh, you know, if you didn't see the also breaking news Wednesday, which was that the Broncos traded for Panthers quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, giving up a six round pick for him. And, you know, the Broncos were a team that a lot of people thought were going to be one of the Falcons top trade options, trade back options. And it seems like there will be very reluctant after this point. They may not be out of the quarterback market altogether, but almost certainly they're not going to pay the price, that premium price tag to move up to four to get a quarterback now after acquiring Teddy Bridgewater. And, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, you've been following me on Twitter. I've been reluctant from the jump about a lot of teams willingness to trade up the Broncos included, you know, reading the tea leaves, in terms of their actions this offseason, it always seemed to be geared more towards bringing someone in who could compete with Drew Locke rather than outright replace him. And, you know, that would certainly be the case in terms of outright replacing if you were going to pay the premium to go up to four and, and get a guy. And so they got the guy that can compete with Drew Locke and, and Teddy Bridgewater. So now at this point in time, we're hoping, praying for a a Patriots trade, which is something very un but we'll see. Maybe they'll pay the premium to come up from 15. Maybe, you know, the Bears, Washington are two teams at picking at 20 and 19, respectively, uh, could also come up. But the question at that point is, you know, not necessarily if those teams are going to come up, are the Falcons going to be willing to go back that far uh, to trade into the middle of the first round? And that was one of the interesting things that Terry Fontenot mentioned in his press conference on Wednesday is part of the process of negotiating these trades. You're weighing you know, what the other team is offering, but also what you think you can get with their pick. And, you know, you're not just trading back to trade back. You know, you have to feel like you can still get a really good player at that spot. And depending on, you know, who you ask, you know, some people might think that the the premium talent in this draft is going to start to dry up before you get the pick 15, right around where the Patriots are picking. And so, you know, if you trade back to 15, you're cutting potentially your margins pretty thin, even if you think they're like, you know, 15, 16 good players in this draft, you know, there's no guarantee that, you know, you know, it's a, it's a pretty thin thing. 
So I've been pretty consistent since March saying, or at least since the end of March after the 49th Dolphins trade that I thought a trade back was very unlikely. And at least all the news and breaking news and reports and rumors from Wednesday makes me feel even more confident in that opinion. So let's talk about the other two options. We'll talk about them taking Kyle Pitts. Let's talk about them taking a quarterback and we'll lump these together because the theme is basically the same. It's about opportunity cost, right? And this has been a core reason why I have felt reasonably confident outside of that two week period in late March after the Falcons did that max restructure on Matt Ryan's deal. And before the 49ers Dolphins trade that the team you know, that two week period, I thought, okay, they're really going to take a uh, Kyle Pitts, right? But outside of that, in the months preceding that, since December, in the month, in the month after that, you know, I've thought they would go quarterback. And that boils down to opportunity cost. You know, you're not going to get very many chances to nab a, a high level quarterback. And you look around the league at all the teams that have been scrambling this year, last year, in recent years, trying to upgrade their quarterback and, and move on from mediocre players. You as a team builder in, in Terry Fontenot's shoes have to recognize how difficult it is to explain at least passing on a, a potential franchise quarterback, uh, especially when a, a player like Matt Ryan, given his age, is staring you in the face. And while he can play at a high level for several years, you do have to have a plan there. You can't just simply say, oh, we'll figure it out later. You know, it goes back to something I said earlier on today's episode, like when you're evaluating these quarterbacks, it all depends on, you know, what type of billet do you see them as a future franchise quarterback? Now, if you don't see guys in, in Justin Fields and Trey Lance that are capable of being top 10 or so quarterbacks, capable of being that guy you can build around and be in playoff contention every year for another decade or more, then you weigh that with the opportunity cost of passing on a player like Kyle Pitts who by all accounts is a generational pass catcher that we arguably have not seen in the draft in the past decade since Julio Jones and AJ green came out. And in that way, it's a little different from the scenario that we've previously discussed on the pod. When we talked about the chargers and their scenario in 2017, when they took Mike Williams with the seventh overall pick and passed on the potential of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. When Phillip rivers was the same age that Matt Ryan is today, they had a new coach in Anthony Lynn coming in at that time, similar to how the Falcons have with Arthur Smith. Now, Mike Williams is a good receiver. He is a very good wide receiver prospect. He was a jump ball, you know, pass catcher. And, you know, there were question marks about his ability to separate in the NFL. And, and those have proven true in the NFL, but you know, people thought at the time, you know, even though he was a top 10 pick, I, I think the general consensus on Mike Williams, that he was a guy that was supposed to be picked in the middle of the first round. And so when you revisit that draft, you know, hindsight clearly tells us that that pick is far less defensible than it was at the time. But it's interesting because, you know, I think you can draw some parallels between Deshaun Watson, a highly touted college player that got dinged by NFL teams, similar to Justin Fields. And you can argue, you know, Patrick Mahomes is kind of that boom bust guy that some people, including Mark Schofield on yesterday's episode, you know, was talking about as a boom bust prospect, potentially given his, you know, in the case of Mahomes, I don't think this necessarily describes Lance, but Mahomes being that more unorthodox dynamic playing style. But, you know, the beauty of hindsight really is being able to learn from other people's mistakes. So I think logically taking the quarterback makes the most sense. All things being equal. I don't feel like I need to do a ton of legwork to explain why that is. Like I did earlier with Kyle Pitts. I think that's obvious. So, you know, for me, and this will be the last point I'll make on today's episode. 
I've put up this front over the last several months of basically saying, I don't care what the Falcons do, but I'll admit that if we, if I'm on tomorrow's episode and Justin Fields is sitting there at four later tonight and the Falcons pass on him and whether that's passing on him for Kyle Pitts or Trey Lance or anybody else, I will be somewhat disappointed. I'm not going to cry about it or anything like that, but I will be let down to a certain degree. That's how, you know, I think Justin Fields is, is that talented. And I know I've come on strong these past few weeks on the Justin Fields bandwagon. And I'll explain why, you know, I, I didn't really watch the quarterbacks. Like I, I watched some of them during the season to the degree enough that when the Falcons secured their top five pick, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm good with all four of these quarterbacks talking about Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance and, and Zach Wilson as potential picks for the Falcons at number four. And, you know, I knew eventually I was get to the film of these guys in the off season. And, you know, I probably procrastinated a little bit, you know, I, got, I eventually got to them Easter weekend in that week leading up, I think before the first time we had Mark on this month, uh, really watching the film. And, you know, I came away watching all five of these quarterbacks, Mac Jones included, and I came away really liking Justin Fields and Mac Jones. They, they went up in my eyes watching the film and, you know, I was pretty neutral on, Lawrence and Lance and Wilson. It doesn't mean I didn't like them. I just, my opinion didn't really change in, in any major way, positive or negative. They just was like, yeah, I still like all, all three of those guys. You know, I, th- I still think Lawrence is the best. I thought he was the best to, to going into it. Um, and it didn't change. He didn't go up or down in my eyes. And, and Lance, I thought was really good and didn't go up or down. Wilson, I thought was good, but had some concerns about, um, and came out of it still with some concerns. So, you know, that's where I'm at, you know, and the fields is there and the Falcons go in another direction. Again, I'll be disappointed, but by no means distraught and certainly not complaining if the Falcons take Kyle Pitts. As I said before, you know, oh, you know, it's a terrible crime that I have to be a Falcon fan and have to watch 10 to 12 years of Kyle Pitts wrecking defense. Oh, what was me, you know? And so lastly, let, let's talk a little bit about Trey Lance because he, he seems to get a little bit of a shorter shrift because, you know, the Kyle Pitts versus Justin Fields dynamic. And it, it may just be that they like Trey Lance. And while I'm not as high on Trey Lance as others may be, if he's the pick, I'll certainly understand because I get why other people like him. You know, I think it was Adam Schefter that said earlier this week that some teams view him as the most intelligent quarterback in this entire draft class. And then you couple that with his physical tools. That's, that's a pretty enticing combination. And then you remember that he did all the things that he's done to, to get where he's gotten at age 19 when he was a redshirt freshman. And it's easy to get enamored with that potential when you start to project those things. And I tend to be more of a believe it when I see it type of guy, but, and that's probably why I favor fields a little bit more, but you know, you're in Trey Lance, you got a guy that basically his senior year is going to be 2022. Um, and you're, you're basically, he's going to get two years of graduate level courses and quarterbacking um, at the NFL level, as opposed to the college level. So that counts for something. And so you know, I've concluded the same conclusion I said to Charles McDonald back in February when we had him on the podcast. You know, I think the Falcons are, are in a good place, whatever direction they go. If they trade back, you know, I'll reserve opinion. It depends on what return they get in terms of draft picks and who they get um, in terms of uh, a player. You know, because of those unknown variables, you know, it doesn't excite me in the way that other paths do. And again, it goes back to me being a, a believe it when I see it type of guy. So if you're trading back with New England at 15 and you're getting USC guard Elijah Vera Tucker or Georgia edge rusher Aziz Ojolari at 15, two guys that I do think will be there um, and, and would interest the Falcons, those aren't bad moves. But, uh, you know, it's hard for me to get as excited about because it feels like you're going from an eight or nine in terms of the potential out of 10 with, you know, Lance Pitts or, or, or Fields at, at four 
and you're settling for guys that I kind of see as more sixes, you know, at 15 or so in, in Vera Tucker and Ojolari. Now you can certainly argue, you know, if you get back two sixes and two sevens in a trade back, you know, that's going to outshine the alternative. If you stayed put at four this year and got an eight and then next year with your number one, got a six, right. You know, but if you wind up with two sixes, a four and a five, you know, it's going to be a hard pill to swallow. You know, you just ask the Cleveland Browns when it comes to the Julio Jones trade. So it goes back to what I said earlier. It boils down to execution in theory, getting more bites at the apple is advantageous, but it means nothing if the apple is rotten, so to speak. So we'll see how it all plays out. It's going to be a fun night guys. And I'm sure the Falcons will definitely come away with a draft hall where not a single person will complain about it come Friday morning and everybody will be happy with the Falcons pick. And of course their sarcasm though. So expect a rapid reaction on tomorrow's episode, Saturday and Sunday, you'll get a same rapid reaction from day two and day three of the draft Monday, as well as the rest of the week, we're going to have various guests come on the podcast. After I get all my takes off about the Falcons draft over the weekend, we'll get their takes on next week's episodes. And if you want to see me live again, uh, you, you can get my live reaction to the pick. You don't have to wait till tomorrow. Of course, you know, I want to give you that reminder that you can find me as well as the rest of the locked on local experts, along with the guys and gals over at the draft network tonight, uh, beginning day one of our three day live coverage of the 2021 NFL draft. And all you got to do is to check that out is subscribe to the locked on NFL YouTube page. And you'll be able to see my live reaction to the pick. And you can also check me out before the Falcons are on the clock as I uh, will be part of 11 alive sports extra war room. And you can check that out on 11 alive's YouTube or Facebook feeds, as well as 11 alive.com. I'll be joining the coverage. I think right after the Jaguars pick, um, but the festivities officially kick off at seven 30. So you, you can expect me somewhere around eight fifteen or so and running through the Falcons pick. Um, and then I'll jump on the locked on, coverage right after that to get my sort of a reaction once I've come down from the high uh, or, you know, been able to calm my, my nerves after the shock of, of who the Falcons wind up picking. So uh, there you can get my live reaction tonight, guys. I'll be all across your screens and your phones. And if you have questions that you want answered on future episodes of the podcast, or you want to give any type of feedback, whether it's positive or negative, you know where to hit me up on Facebook at Lockdown Falcons, on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to LockdownFalcons at mail.com. Enjoy your night, guys. Until then. And um, before we close out, I realized in the process of editing that I probably didn't make this clear, and I was probably assuming that you guys could connect the dots that I was connecting in my head, but let me spell this out. Yes, with the goal of purging contracts, moving on from Matt Ryan is probably the best option for the team because in, in because you want to secure the quarterback position long term, that makes it critical, which is why I continue to believe that they will ultimately draft a quarterback at four, despite all the reports that saying they would draft Pitts. But you could still still meet your goal of purging contracts and still justify drafting Pitts. Again, going back to the earlier point about feeling that the quarterbacks in this draft class and Pitts is a better prospect than those guys. And because Matt Ryan, given his age, given his position, you can get more value out of him long-term. So therefore you may prioritize moving on from Julio Jones and drafting Pitts does help fill that void in terms of getting a big time playmaker that you can build your offense around in the short term, starting in 2022 and beyond. Um, should you decide to move on from Julio Jones and 
it makes sense still with that attitude, but it, it may not make as much sense as if the goal is to purge contracts, then that mean that pushes quarterback up as opposed to tight end. Right. But you can still, still have that goal and say you're justified in taking a tight end. If you do not think the quarterbacks are good enough to merit being the fourth overall selection. So it still works. It just is not as clean as taking a quarterback. I hope that's clear. 